Welcome to the Support Automation Show, a podcast by Capacity. Join us for conversations with leaders in customer or employee support who are using technology to answer questions, automate processes, and build innovative solutions to any business challenge. I'm your host, Justin Schmidt. Good morning, Emily. Where does this podcast find you today? Hi, I am located in Napa, California. I love the Bay Area, Napa, Central Northern California. Spent a few years up there and a while ago, and it's, it's as beautiful as everybody says it is. So Emily, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you are currently the AVP of Customer Success at Fastly. So maybe give us some bit of your background and how you got into customer success. Sure. So I started my career at AT&T, and I did a variety of customer-facing roles. So sales, account management, business development, and through you know multiple moves, ended up in the Bay Area. For anyone who has moved to the Bay Area, you might relate with me here. I started to feel like the pull of startup, right? The startup allure. It's real. It's exciting. And it was just time to try something new. So you know, started to look at what the options were and ended up moving over to Fastly. So I started the sales enablement function there. That was my first role and really liked interacting with the sales team. I got to do coaching, roll out a whole sales methodology. I was the, well, some people don't think it's so fun. I actually really enjoyed preparing all the RFP responses, you know, all kind of that sales support sort of function. And then about a year and a half in, I was in a conversation and just realized how much I missed actually talking to customers. Hmm. And that was really the prompt for me of, all right, I've, I've got to pivot. And around that same time, we were looking at starting uh, more of a post-sales focused team and customer success and raised my hand and said, I'm interested in doing this. So I moved over into that role initially as a player coach uh, to help build things out and have since been able to grow and expand the team. We're now about 30 people globally. That's amazing. And for those of us in the audience that don't know what Fastly does, could you maybe give 90 seconds on Fastly? Sure. So Fastly is an edge cloud delivery network. So we do content delivery and security. So my favorite example for content delivery is think about if you're downloading an article from New York Times, right? You want to read what's in the news today. If you, if New York Times has their, you know, content for the website, not just the articles, but how are the articles built, right? All the framework that goes into building a website, I say that's hosted on the East Coast, right? They can walk to it from their office. Great. If you're in New Jersey and you're pulling that up, it's pretty fast, right? New Jersey, New York are next to each other. But if you're a reader in the Bay Area, you're now going all the way across the country to request that article. Well, it doesn't take just one request to build the entire website and article, right? There's 100, 150 back and forth. So now because of the geography, you're actually introducing latency. So what Fastly does is we have local points of presence in various cities, uh, kind of closer to end users. So content is actually cached there. So then rather... Uh, than me in the Bay Area going all the way to New York. Maybe I'm just going to San Francisco or San Jose, a much faster loading experience. Uh, And then we layer uh, security on top of that to make sure that websites stay secure. 
Yeah, I love it. In a prior life, I was the VP of marketing and then ultimately the VP of publishing operations at a company called Multiply. We ran a whole series of, of websites. Answers.com is probably our, our biggest brand. And we are big Fastly customers. And you know, you and I just met a few minutes ago. So this is coming from a place of a real recommendation, not some sort of incentivized relationship here. Fastly is fantastic. So anyone that's dealing with sort of web traffic at scale, I can't say enough good things about the platform. So it's actually really yeah. fun to, to, to have you on because in a lot of instances, I have these great conversations with support leaders, but my experience with their product is tertiary at best. But this is going to be fun for me because as our conversation unfolds, maybe some of your anecdotes and stuff that, 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 that you talk about, I'm going to think back to my time at, in publishing when we very well could have been one of the customers that sparked maybe an anecdote you're going to share. But when I start this conversation with our guests, my first question is often my, it's usually my favorite question of the whole show, just because the answers are always slightly different. And that is when you hear the word support automation, what does that mean to you? Yeah, it's a great question. And similar to one of my favorite questions, which is what does customer success mean? <laughs> because I think in both, it's wildly different company to company and even people's interpretation. Yeah, let's do both. Do support automation and also like dovetail right into customer uh, success because I think this will be a great bed for the rest of our conversation. Yeah, so I think support automation, the automation part is where the scariness comes in, right? I think for the most part, companies understand, you know, we want to support our customers. Typically, there's, I'd say, a designated support team who's handling tickets and maybe some other aspects, but that's kind of the the unifying uh, piece across companies. But the automation part is, you know, yes, we know we need a tool, but we also need humans right. and finding that balance. And I think when people hear automation, you know, it's, hey, we're either going to send all of our jobs offshore, or we're going to bring in tools and not need humans. And I really think, you know, especially from all bucket out all under the umbrella of customer experience, it's really finding that balance between automation and human effort. You know, I think one of the things I've seen firsthand at Fastly is just how valuable a support team can be and how that can be a differentiator for your company. You know, Typically, when someone's filing a ticket with you, they're not happy, right? Like the ticket's not, oh, I love your product. <laughs> the ticket is something's wrong, like, please help me fix it. And, you know, the fact that we consistently high, have high CSAT scores, we have, you know, it, you want to measure success on both sides, right? right? It's the customer experience, but it's also the internal experience. And the fact that we've, you know, had people join this support team and stay with the company, grow and develop, I think it's a win on both sides. So I think support automation, it's how do we take care of our customers, but do it in the most efficient way. And I mm -hmm. think in doing that, it's that balance between human and tooling. And then I'll transition to the, the customer success piece, because I think that's also interesting. And we were saying right before we started recording that you know, customer success means different things at different companies. And it sure does. It's, I think, similar to this idea of support, right? Yes, there's one team that has that title, but it really needs to be a philosophy across the entire company. And so I've seen, you know, customer success be strictly the CSM team. Sometimes it incorporates everything post-sale, 
right? Whether that's support or professional services, customer training, all of those things really go into that customer journey. And as you think about the customer experience, how do we keep and grow the customer? How do we make sure that they're successful? And all of those pieces ultimately dovetail in whether or not you organizationally create it that way. That's exactly right. There's a confluence of like revenue, product roadmap, direction, you know, general direction of the company that all happens sort of in the customer relationship, right? And it's very easy, I think, to say, oh, well, when I think of the org chart, I've got like the sales team reports into the sales marketing reports into marketing customer reports into customer success or whatever it is. And product has their own. And we get together to share ideas, discuss, move things forward. But the fulcrum of that the conversation is, is customer relationships and what happens with the customer as you're kind of going through the journey, right? So one thing that I'm particularly keen on asking you, just given the fact that you kind of started in sales enablement at Fastly and like grew that and, you know, effectively parlayed that into the role you're at now, is that you've got a very unique point of view of both understanding the beginning of the customer journey and then also the the deep into the, you know, the bowels of the customer <laughs> journey, you know, stack there with customer experience and customer success and, and, and all that. How can customer support and customer experience, customer success teams, how can the customer side of the business work to ensure their voices are heard with some of the kind of top funnel beginning of the, the journey sides of the business? Yeah, it's a, a great question. And I think a constant journey. <laughs> when we think about partnering at Fastly, and mm -hmm. especially because our customer, our support team has been in place for a while, our customer success team in the grand scheme of the company, slightly newer. And so it was, you know, how do we develop a team when there's already these existing teams that we now need to interact and support with? And I think it's being really clear on what is everyone's role, right? Especially if you're establishing a new team in the midst of other stuff that's working. Sometimes it's, hey, I'm going to take a piece of what was your role. And there's tons of change management work needing to be done around that, right? To make sure everyone understands why the changes are being made, but also be really focused on, okay, you know, coming out of the cloud and through this change management, what does everyone's roles look like after? And are people really clear on what those mean? I think that's the first step, right? Just providing that clarity, because when you have that clarity, then you are actually able to hold people accountable, right? Right. Uh, People will still, you know, skirt the rules or, you know, maybe try and revert back to the way things were. It's comfortable, but you have the ability then to say, hey, wait, like we talked about this. Everyone was very clear on what it looked like moving forward. So I think a huge part of change management is just outlining, you know, how are things going to be so that you can have some of those difficult conversations if needed. Yeah. And then I think it's figuring out how do you want to partner, right? It's starting a new team gives you a little bit of luxury of seeing what has worked and what hasn't worked and being able to learn from that. So one of the things that I was really conscious of is how do we provide value to our customers? That's our number one focus. But right behind that is value internally. And so how do you make these interactions and what can we do to better support teams but then also, like, what do we need from those teams in order to be successful, right? It's not a one-way street. 
you know, sometimes the customer success and support teams can get treated as, you know, hey, go deal with the stuff nobody else wants to, which is not ideal, right? Nobody wants to be in fire drill mode all the time. So really seeing, you know, how can I add value? And then what do I need in terms of expectation setting from other internal teams to make sure that this is going to be a good, seamless internal and external experience? Yeah. You touched on something interesting there, and that is that the, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but that there sometimes is this expectation that like the customer care part of an organization deals with a lot of problems, right? Mm-hmm. And one sort of phrase that comes to mind when I think about this is the concept of like shit rolls downhill, right? Mm-hmm. But that's a terrible phrase to use in this instance because a customer support is not or customer teams are not downhill from something else this we're, we're, this is a, a flat plane where all are equal and second like you shouldn't ever characterize your customers as shit right but what's interesting here though is that in this you know again this is like the voice the voice of the customer is often carried through the customer care teams right and mm-hmm. like customer success and I, I can just speak to this from here at Capacity. You know, we're you know we're a much smaller operation than than someone like Fastly is, but we still have the same incentives on ensuring that our customers are successful, and especially the ones at the tip of the spear in terms of the scale of of our platform inside their organization, the types of challenges that that they're using, you know, capacity to solve all that kind of stuff. And those conversations, those QBRs, those, you know, uh, implementation calls or whatever it is that the the CS team is going through, the findings and the the feedback from those are just absolutely invaluable, right? And they're invaluable to Everyone from, you know, the the other customer care teams all the way through to the CEO and to the interns in the engineering department. And it's it's I'd, I'd love hearing you touch on the change management aspect of all of this, because change management, it's one of those like business bingo terms <laughs> yeah. that that, you know, it's like digital transformations. Like, what does, what does that really mean? You know, but 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 one part of change management it's not only just like process design, job design, all the kind of stuff you learn in school, but it's also like bringing in technology and leveraging that technology through some of that change that you're, you're, you're trying to implement, which leads me to another topic that we had proposed in our back and forth before this meeting, which is like tool evaluation and positioning automation with a team. Let's bundle those together because I think like ultimately it's kind of the branches of the same tree. So positioning automation with the team and, and the evaluation of those tools. I assume you mentioned positioning automation because of, and you did kind of mention this earlier, that sometimes automation could, you know, I'm, I'm, for those of us on audio, I'm making scare quotes, it can be scary. <laughs> can you speak a little bit about how to effectively position automation within a team and manage the change management that, that comes with that? Sure. I think a lot of it comes down to communication and expectation setting. And this is something that I personally have gotten feedback and coaching on the way that I grew up and, you know, not to throw blame on uh, previous experiences, but a lot of decisions were made and then it was like, here's what we're doing, deal with it, uh, move forward. And 
that's kind of the way I thought things went. And then moving over to a startup, it was different, right? People want to be involved. They want to feel valued. They want their voice heard. And the first couple of changes I tried to make that were just my decision, hey, here's what it is we're rolling out, didn't go so well. <laughs> I learned the hard way. And so I think you know, looking at change and change management, a huge piece of that is how do you get buy-in? And I uh, had a manager who really sat me down and gave me some good feedback around this of start to share your ideas. It doesn't have to be fully baked. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to promise the world to anyone and gather feedback, right? Get opinions, especially if you're not going to be the one doing the work, right? It, oftentimes leadership is tasked with creating what that change is, right? What's the new strategy, everything else, but you're not the one you know, answering the customer's tickets or, you know, going in and using that tool every single day. So you got to make sure that you're incorporating that individual contributor feedback too. And, you know, just because you're asking for feedback doesn't mean that every single piece of feedback that you get needs to be incorporated. Again, you know, you, you were in the leadership role to, to help manage and figure out how it all fits together, but making sure that people feel like they're part of the process is so important. And then really communicating why you're even looking at the change, right? They think back to what we were saying earlier, the idea of automation being, you know, Hey, I'm going to like become less responsible for something, or maybe I'll be out of a job because you're going to automate it away and really detailing, Hey, we want to lean into, you know, this new tool because it's going to unlock X, Y, and Z for us. You know, maybe it'll improve our efficiency so you can actually talk with more customers, solve more problems. Um, it's going to allow us to scale. You know, those are exciting things. And I would say, especially at a startup where maybe you do have skin in the game in terms of equity within the company, you know, your direct work is making the company grow and develop and being able to automate and help drive some of that scale. That should be exciting if someone's really in that kind of startup mentality. Yeah. And when you think about that sort of positioning for automation, one thing that's interesting about what you just said is that you kind of, whether you did it consciously or not, like didn't necessarily make that about like customer success necessarily. That's more of like a, it was universal to kind of regardless of the function inside the business. Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting for business leaders going forward because it's one thing to automate something, I'll just draw from pertinent and sort of low-hanging fruit example in, in our space, like putting a, a chatbot on the website, for example, that uses AI to answer customer questions. Like that's a fairly like pretty common use case for NLP right now, right? Like I can, mm -hmm. you know, you can find a bunch of if you just want a chatbot to put on a website, there's a bunch of options. I'd steer everyone towards capacity, but there's a bunch of options. However, we're getting into really interesting use cases now where you've got a great example. Of this is a company called Drishti that basically what they do is they install cameras at varying stages of a manufacturing process. And the camera is sort of, and is just basically films the this that stage of the process and then the software is trained on this is what this assembly stage should look like this is the you know this these are the components and and this is the order that they all go in and the model sort of learns oh 
you know, shift one in plant A performs stage three 5% faster than shift two in plant B. Mm. Why is this? Figures out the answer and, and reports that onto whoever's looking at those reports, right? Like, that's a much deeper level of automation inside of a business process than sort of light touch answering questions with a chatbot on the website. Not to say that answering questions can't get deeper, it most certainly can. But when you start getting into things like process automation within within a business or using AI to screen resumes, which has a whole other ball of ball of potential problems with it, like you're dealing with much deeper sort of implications. So my question then, when you've got those sort of heavier expectations of what automation potentially means, you're, you're ending up kind of having much deeper discussion with the vendors and the tools that you're bringing in. Because again, you're not just like, I need something to send my emails. Well, you're buying something much, much deeper than that now. And you're looking at that evaluation, like how, what advice do you have for people in your position who are doing that evaluation? Like what kind of questions do you recommend asking? What, maybe if you have a specific example of a, an experience that went, went, went well or poorly with that evaluation to share would also be great. That was a really long way of, of saying what goes into evaluating tools for automation. <laughs> <laughs> it's an important decision. You know, I, one thing that I like to try and remind myself of when I'm asking for budget is, you know, I have my lens of the world, right? I'm asking for budget for, you know, another person or a tool, but our finance team is getting that question from every organization at the company. Mm -hmm. So, and they have to then make decisions and prioritize. So you've got to be really clear on, you know, why am I asking for this and what's the benefit going to be? And I think it's really easy when you get to a certain point and you say, okay, we need a tool, right? It's time to invest. Uh, here's a piece that we can automate through this. We're going to become more efficient to just start hopping on calls with vendors. You know, it's fun to get a demo. You get to see the shiny UI. You can imagine like these glorious, you know, future you self, you know, all the benefits of that. Maybe you even get invited to, you know, a, vendor happier or whatever it is, but however you like to, to shop for tools. But I think the problem with that is you get kind of overwhelmed in the dazzle and then it becomes a little bit harder to actually make an effective decision. So one of the things that I found really helpful is before I talk with anyone is making sure I really understand the problem that we're trying to solve, right? Why are we buying this tool? And then outlining what is the criteria that I'm going to make the decision on before I even talk to anyone and get any sort of influence from an outside vendor. What's important to me? Are there certain features or functionalities? Does it need to work with certain tools that we already have? You know, are there reports that I want to be able to see some sort of data visibility coming out of it? So that way I can go in and actually start evaluating off of the criteria that I need for my business rather than, you know, whatever mm. key things that the vendor wants to tell me about them. You know, some of that's great. Maybe it's a, the cherry on top, but being really clear about <laughs> 
what do I need for this tool to be most effective? You know, I'm spending, you know, thousands, potentially even more dollars in investing in this. You've got to make sure that at the end of the day, you've kind of checked all of those boxes that are going to be critical to making it most effective. Yeah, it's exactly right. Because every customer is a little different. And and you know this at, at Fastly, right? Like, no two are exactly the same. Like they can get cohorted and bucketed and, and that's why you build the tiers of feature sets or however your, your SaaS product in, in this example is is sold. But ultimately, like there is a lot of variance inside of there. And one of the things that I always recommend people do, and this this sounds almost kind of crazy coming from someone who's like, you know, paid and incentivized to, to sell automation, but like, really map out the sort of like get a flow get some flow chart software whichever one you, sort of makes you happy and map out the process that you're looking to automate in the first place and you find occasionally that you don't necessarily even need to automate the process you just need to like fix the process itself you know what i mean like you, you, you when you map it out and you're like okay this data comes in from this tool and then we send it off to this tool to get this thing back to then do this et cetera, et cetera. and then this team comes in that team. you're like oh shit, we can we can optimize this simply by removing x and then combining y and z together and boom you've you've saved a, a huge portion of what you're trying to do but I think you touched on something really interesting, and that is support leaders kind of like all revenue-facing functions of a business face this issue. I think some more so than others, but you get you end up getting jealous of you know other organizations who have something really slick, and you get the FOMO, if you will, and then and that drives you. Next thing you know, you're signing a contract for <laughs> an, an application that you don't necessarily need. So I think you're exactly right. Like, find the way you need this particular application to work, and all your questions and all your evaluation needs to go off of that. I love the point that you were making, and I'll just maybe say it a slightly different way. But sometimes you don't need to buy a tool, right? Like there's the excitement of it. But one of the things that our business systems team at Fastly has been so great at in partnering is actually pushing back a little bit, right? Like, do you need that tool? But also asking the question, do we already have a tool that would work, right? There's oftentimes this excitement around buying something new, but, you know, maybe I don't know, say you're trying to do a, a customer satisfaction survey. Uh, do you need a survey tool or can you use, you know, the Zendesk survey if you already are using Zendesk for ticketing? So I think sometimes there's, we forget about the other functionalities of tools that we already have and just want to go spend more money. But then, you know, your company grows and scales and five years later, you're like, why do we have five things that do the same thing um, and you have to, to go back and, and re-streamline. Yeah. In marketing, that's always the the thing that I tell people is like, evaluate your tech stack like once every six months. And if you ever find that you have more than three different tools to send an email to somebody, it's time to like, <laughs> it's time to rethink. And and part of it's, you know, kind of guilt we're all we're all selling software here we can kind of be guilty as charged sometimes you end up 
like vendors add on features because they you know they're looking for expansion revenue and you know different ways to to sort of grow the business and you know you can't fault people for doing that but the natural byproduct of that is you end up with four different tools that will, e- that will email a customer if you needed to mm-hmm, exactly <laughs> so one thing you know i always love asking people that that come on this show is is there a specific automation that you've seen brought into Fastly that had a particularly powerful impact and and that you would recommend maybe someone else in your position look into doing? And you don't have to mention the specific vendor if you don't want, but just even if it's like a, a part of the function that, that you were able to bring automation that was particularly successful. Yeah, so I'll say, I'm going to talk about it at a little bit higher level just because I okay. wasn't really running that project, but actually using, uh, it's called Frame AI. And it's been able to really give just visibility and analytics around tickets, right? Mm. What understanding, you know, through NLP and things like that, you know, is this a happy ticket? Is this a mad ticket? In mad tickets, what are they, you know, what are the top concerns? You know, what, types of questions come in more often, right? And I think just any tool that can give you some of that visibility into both, you know, customer health and sentiment, because then you can go filter that back to the appropriate teams. Maybe that's customer success, maybe that's sales, right? It's back to that idea of how do we share information and become valuable as internal partners. But then it also gives you the ability to become more efficient uh, in other ways. So, Say you start to see a pattern of, you know, hey, at two months, we tend to get, you know, they've purchased our product, they're two months in, and we tend to get questions about X. Okay, if we're starting to see that as a trend, then can we build documentation around that? Maybe it's video training, whatever it is to help support the question and actually then be more proactive rather than reactive and, you know, waiting for the ticket to come to support. How about we say, hey, you're approaching your two-month mark. People are typically running into this challenge or have this question. If this fits your scenario, great, here's the answer. We'll give it to you now. That's some of the power of automation. It's not, you know, hey, we want to take stuff away from support. But if you're self-servicing a little bit customers on some of those more common things, it actually allows the support or other teams to become more strategic, right? Get into more of the more challenging things. You know, nobody wants to answer the same question day in and day out. That's not as fun. (laughs) So being able to to really use a tool to identify some of that data and trends will actually allow the team to kind of shift where its time is focused. That's fantastic stuff, Emily. And first off, shout out to our friends at frame.ai. Very familiar with them. The, the, the idea of leveraging technology to do sentiment analysis, I'm going to overly simplify this. Any folks in marketing over at Frame that take issue with this, find me on Twitter. <laughs> but 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 using AI to do sentiment analysis at scale is fantastic because this gets into that gets into one of my like 
credences in life, which is like the plural of anecdote is not data, right? So like when you get people come like, oh, XYZ is broken. It's like, well, why do you say that? Well, I had a phone call with so-and-so. It's like, okay, you, you, you had one call? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. But leveraging technology like that to sort of look at, you know, hundreds or thousands of requests or whatever it is and kind of you know, come down to like what the actual issues is, is extremely powerful. The other thing you touched on that was was music to my ears, and this is something we say all the time here, capacity. In fact, it's like literally on the wall in our now mostly empty because we're all remote office here in St. Louis is helping teams do their best work, which is exactly what you described in that like a good automation can eliminate a lot of the repetitive tasks that that people do and free your best people up to do their best work. It's not about mm -hmm. I'm going to bring in some tool and I'm going to replace 500 people in my organization. I'm going to bring in some tool and the people in these 500 people in my organization are now no longer going to have to deal with, uh, I'm going to be extremely reductive here, answering the phone and saying our business hours are nine to five anymore, right? Like we're going to be able to free these people up for, for, for higher level things. Absolutely love it. Kind of wrapping up our conversation here, what excites you the most about the future of automation and customer success? I think it's really around being able to dive in and be a little more personalized with the customer. If we can leverage automation for some of those more basic tasks and kind of provide a, a baseline across all of our customers for that customer experience. It then allows, you know, whether it's support or customer success to have deeper and more fruitful conversations with our customer. You know, if you're leveraging tooling and automation to make sure that you're tracking, you know, customer specific information, right? So, mm -hmm. hey, our customer success team knows that, um, you know, you're hosting an AWS. Great. They can put that in, you know, your, whatever your repository looks like. Now, when the support team is helping solve a ticket, that's one less question that they have to ask. And so now you can say, great, I understand that you're using AWS. Maybe it's asking, you know, that level two or level three question to help solve something faster. But I think just being as personalized to the customer, it's always a balance, right? Because personalization doesn't scale. It's hard. But if you can find some of that balance where you're not starting at ground zero each time and you can do, you can use tooling to, to help that, it's just a better customer experience. I think it's a more engaging job function because you're having real conversations with customers. Yes, love it. Emily, this has been a fantastic conversation. Let's end with... Longtime listeners of the show always, I've, I've like, honest to God, gotten LinkedIn messages about this. I never, I've still not branded like the final quickfire round. And almost every show I make an awkward reference to the fact that I have not branded it, which is now becoming the brand <laughs> in and of itself. Um, maybe I'm more of a marketing genius than I let on here. But <laughs> kidding aside, let's end with our, our quickfire round here. So just sort of first thing that comes to mind, what's the book you most often recommend to people? Oh, I'll go with uh, Genius Habit. Mm. And I'm going to have to look up who uh, the author is because I don't remember off the top of my head. But it was recommended to me as I was really trying to figure out what do I want to do in my career? And it 
you got to do the exercises. You can't just read the book. Laura Garnett. Uh, but if but that sounds correct. Yeah. Yeah. The genius um, habit. Yeah. So it, you go through and it really helps you focus on what do I like doing? What am I good at doing? And how do I marry those two? Mm. Yep. Yeah. The, it's like the, the, the Japanese comment or comment concept of Ikigai where like, what are people good at doing? Like, what do people like doing? And then like, what can you, I think it's what can you pay people for? And then like the intersection of that is like the ultimate like hiring that you can make. The genius mm -hmm. habit. Yeah, that's a good one that you were the first person to recommend that book, but it, I have heard of this book before. So that's a good one. Next up is if you could recommend one website, blog, Slack community, LinkedIn, Facebook group, et cetera, for people in customer success or customer success adjacent, what would it be? Can I say mine? <laughs> of course. Absolutely can. So yeah, very uh, shameless plug. This year, I launched uh, Value CS with Emily. So it's www.valuecswithemily.com. And it's really a collection of you know various podcasts that I've done. So just conversations around uh, customer success, some things that I've published on LinkedIn, usually about two times a week, I'll share some sort of infographic with you know different customer success related topics. But it's also where, you know, it's not... 100% about me. It's also where I highlight really interesting blogs and podcasts and other, um, you know, people that I find interesting in the CS space. Mm. So it's really my hub of CS learning. Yeah. ValueCSWithEmily.com. I'm on it right now. And yeah, this is fantastic. You've got a lot of great stuff on here. It's It's been my COVID project. <laughs> <laughs> my COVID project was turning this sunroom into the office that it is now. Nice. Next question. If you look back on, on all your years in management and and being a productive, high contributing individual and just you look back at all, all the different, you know, your journey through school and work and everything else. If you could think of one productivity tip, productivity hack, if you want to call it that, that that you've heard that stuck with you, what is it? I, I don't know if it's a hack. Uh, yeah, I, 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 say, I hate saying productivity hacks, but, <laughs> you know, I would say one thing that has helped with my productivity is getting notes down as soon as possible after mm. a meeting. Uh, so I'm not the type of person who likes to record meetings and then go back and listen to them because I don't have time. No, no. <laughs> um, like I've been through it once. I don't need to be through, 0 uh, chance of me listening through to it again. <laughs> and so, you know, being able to, to leave the meeting and I typically like handwriting notes, you know, transcribing those, you know, into a more cohesive form for other people to read. But if you do it, the, the sooner after the meeting, the more context you have, right. Yeah. You know, if you try and do it three, four days later, like, what did that word mean? <laughs> What was I trying to remember? And so for me, it's just being able to prioritize that time after a meeting to make sure that I really absorb it and document it in a way that I can take action in the future. Yeah, that's a great one. Personally, one thing I I did about three or four months ago is, this is a little convoluted, but I have a, a Zapier integration that I set up that whenever I have a meeting on my calendar, it creates a note in Notion with that meeting mm. and like all the metadata from the meeting. So like who attended, what was the title, et cetera, et cetera. And it creates a blank note that then I have open. I usually take notes on, on my iPad with a pencil and then I'd like translate that into 
text and, and shove it in rather than like sit there with my mechanical keyboard that's really clacky. <laughs> but yes, taking notes, I say this to say taking notes for, for a meeting and doing it immediately after is an extremely good idea. All right, last one. Who in the world of customer success would you take out for either a coffee or a cocktail, depending on the time of day? And who would that be? So I'll say Success Hacker just published a list of top 25 customer success influencers and top 100 customer success strategists. Mm. And that, I would say, only scratches the surface. Like the customer success world is just growing by leaps and bounds at this point. There's so many people. But I think if I had to pick one, I'd probably say Nick Mehta, who's the CEO of Gainsight. I, he has done such a good job in connecting with so many customers. You know, Gainsight has many customers and is really, was really the first to market in terms of the CS tooling space. And I'd love to just hear his perspective in being able to talk to so many, right? He would kind of be that resource to to level up and share the analysis and trends that he sees across the industry. Shout out to uh, Nick at Gainsight, a company that was founded here in St. Louis. Yeah, they still have an office here, but yeah, that's, that's one, of our, one of our success stories. Thank you so much, Emily, for coming on our show and speaking with me. I'm sure you've got a very busy day and taking some time out to chat about support automation and customer success has been a real treat for me. Emily, where can people find out more about you and Fastly? Sure. So Fastly, I would say our website, Fastly.com, is probably our primary uh, source of communication. And then for me personally, connect with me on LinkedIn, Emily Garza, or come to my website, ValueCSWithEmily.com. Love it. Emily Garza, thank you so much for being on the Support Automation Show. Thanks so much for having me. The Support Automation Show is brought to you by Capacity. Visit Capacity.com to find everything you need for automating support and business processes in one powerful platform. You can find this show by searching for Support Automation in your favorite podcast app. Please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Capacity, thanks for listening.